All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rate and TV ratings and declares some of our own winner in pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by the Doctor Amongst Men, Duncan Joyce. How's it going, Duncan? Doing, uh, yeah, I'm doing good, Lee. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, very good. It's been a little while since we caught up, um, and that is true of the pod in general for me. I've um, been traveling a fair bit for work, and I think sometimes, um, particularly in Europe, uh, it's not really as well understood how far away everything is in Australia. So I've been flying Brisbane to Melbourne um, yeah, once a week and, and splitting my work week amongst the two. And it's just a hell of a, hell of a trip. And on top of that, I've actually been really sick. So we were meant to record last week and I was I had no voice, but it's somewhat back with me now. So that's my week in the life. How about you? What have you been up to? It's the exact opposite here. I'm going into the office once a month. That's all my work travel. But hearing you talk about um, Australian travel, my my dad's cousin, uh, when they came up for a family wedding in Scotland, they flew into London and drove all the way up to Scotland. I think it was like um, around Inverness, and everybody was flabbergasted. Like, you drove how far? And <laughs> it's like it's like a like a once in a week trip for me. This, yeah, yeah, that's a. Not that bad of a drive, all things considered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, travel is, uh, on my side of things, I've just got tickets to see Bruce Springsteen in Dublin. Um, and we're trying to figure out some logistics there. Hotels are a nightmare. Oh, I can believe it. I can believe it. That sounds awesome. We're um, just starting to get noticing that like tickets are coming on sale for things over here again. So people are starting to come back to Australia. So... Um, yeah, very exciting times as the world hopefully goes back to normal. Yeah, there is a bit more normalcy hanging about. Yeah, um, hopefully your travel goes a little, little bit easier than the, uh, the Liverpool fans unable to get to Paris. <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw that on Twitter, Duncan, but I was in absolute <laughs> stitches. Oh, I definitely don't have fake tickets. I, I've got my Ticketmaster app and they're, they're, they're locked and loaded already, so I don't think I'm going to have the same fate before me as some of those unfortunate uh, footy fans last night. Did you see the uh, the ones whose coach didn't turn up at all? No, I missed that. Was it that lad who actually bought the whole coach and then only charged everybody a quid a, a trip? No. Um, some <laughs> There was a post from Liverpool fans. I, I will preempt why I'm enjoying their misery in a moment. I'll not preempt. I'll, I'll let everyone know. Um, who said that they were meant to be picked up by the coach at 10.30. It was 6pm and still no coach. They've ruined their trip. And it turns out, I, I actually can't believe this is like a Bond scenario. Some Everton fan created a fake coach company and sold them all the tickets. Oh, shit. <laughs> and I, I, I know that sounds horrible. And I normally am very um, empathetic for the trials and tribulations of football fans. Because no, more, no matter what club you support, we all go through the ups and downs. Um, at some point or another, but I just have so many Liverpool supporting friends who are just unbearable. Um, and you know what? Like even over the years, obviously City's greatest rival is United. But being from Manchester, I know lots of like fairly sound United fans. I know there's lots of ones that aren't. But you know, you can have an honest to god conversation over here in Australia. At least the Liverpool supporters are just the absolute worst. They've won everything until they haven't, and then they were still great for not winning it. And it's it's literally unbearable. 
<laughs> well, Kyle was very pleased to see Real win last night, which, considering what Pep says, I didn't think was possible. I thought everybody supported Liverpool. <laughs> I think um, Pep helped turn a few eyes onto what's really going on. Michael Owen on the TV saying Liverpool's still the best team in Europe. Like, fuck off. They didn't win their domestic league or the Champions League. They're not the best team in Europe. They were beaten by two superior teams in a fortnight. The on-screen media is certainly a bit too closely tied to Liverpool alums. Yes, I will say that. Oh, I was watching like the, the coverage and I see... There's Peter Crouch, Michael Owen, all these like Liverpool, you know, ex-Liverpool players. We get a City game, and there's always some ex-Liverpool or United player commenting on our game. It's just very much unbearable. And us City fans that are of a certain vintage suffered for a long time, only then to have all their all the achievements of the club supposedly washed underwater because they're not applicable. Because our billionaire is not as nice as the billionaire that owns their club. It's the the hypocrisy of football fans who don't realise that every Premier League club is owned by a soulless billionaire and get on with it is just astounding to me. Somebody needs to find Sean Golter's number. Oh, feed the goat, please. Feed the anyway. goat and he will give um, <laughs> analysis. I, I, anyway, this is not a football podcast, and there's probably Liverpool supporters listening to this thinking, you dickhead. And you know what? Feel free to reach out, and I will sensibly debate football with you, but most of the people I know in Australia are not. Um, but we're here to talk about um, two things that divide me as much as City and Liverpool. It's Smackdown and Thunder. And specifically, the October 21st episode of Smackdown and Thunder. Um, Thunder drawing a 1.89 rating to Smackdown's 4.83. So straight off the bat, it is a total annihilation here once again. Yikes. Um, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say, did you watch Thunder first, Duncan? I did, Yes. All right, well, should we head over and see what WCW has to offer this week? Oh, yes, there's, there's much to discuss. The Thunder Rolls, it's Thursday on TBS. This is WCW Thunder, joined by wrestling's only living legend, Larry Zabisco. I'm Scott Hudson, in for Mike today. The thunderous ovations of the Larry Chance have just died down as the pyro goes off. We're ready for Halloween Havoc, legend. Tell you, I'm with you. I mean, the whole world's talking about it, Scott. Who is going to be the Millennium Man? And can Hulk Hogan take away the championship from Sting? And that event is right around the corner. It's this Sunday on pay-per-view. The wrestling world is a buzz about Halloween Havoc. We'll have late-breaking Halloween Havoc news during this edition of WCW Thunder as the Maestro makes his second appearance in WCW rings. First point of note is that Larry Zabisco and Scott Hudson are now the commentary team. So we went from having Zabisco and Tanay um, to Kevin Nash being there for a week and now it's Scott Hudson. What did you think of Scott Hudson early on here, Duncan? Brings me back to worldwide watching on friday nights on channel five yeah i i was firmly at home with these two on commentary i guess it felt like a little more low rent than one of the other typical wcw weekly shows but yeah i was perfectly comfortable here i'm guessing this was an overdub and nash's stuff was just unusable for the second half of the taping that would not shock me um 
Scott Hudson, I've got to be honest here, like I, I didn't love the change and I don't think he had a great first showing, but not too offensive, just not for my liking. So it is what it is. Uh, and we start out with an absolute banger. It's Norman Smiley up against Maestro. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so uh, let's stay on the subject of the commentary here. One thing I quite liked about Hudson is his commitment to kayfabe. And there's a couple of things that came out of that in this match. One is him sticking to the pronunciation of Smiley as Smiley. And then oh, that yeah. led to Larry talking about how, yeah, okay, if you said my name in Polish, I guess it'd be a bit hard to pronounce as well. <laughs> yeah, I've got that note during the match here. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to, before we kick off, first match of Thunder, and I'm just letting you know, this is going head to head with Mankind in the WWF ring. <laughs> Compare and contrast. Did you spot the Maestro's theme song is just an instrumental version of Mr. Wonderful's theme? I did not. Great find. Well done. Yeah. We get some chain wrestling to start with, and of course the, the Smiley debates coming up early. The crowd are awfully loud for how dark it is. I noticed that right away. Yeah, uh, that's in my notes. Piped in fan noise is obnoxious. <laughs> We get a back suplex for a two from Maestro. It's a very clunky start to the match here. I'm not loving it. Um, my notes early on, Scott Hudson and his Smiley obsession was bring back Kevin Nash's commentary. Um, we get the Smiley wind-up slam, which I quite like. A bit of outside brawling. And then a Cobra Clutch, or as um, it's referred to by the commentary team, the Norman Conquest, and we get a tap out. Uh, this was a bit of a dud for an opener for my money. Oh. Going back to uh, kayfabe, there's one point in this match where Maestro gets sent shoulder first into the post, and Hudson is aghast. He's like, who's going to have to cancel this week's performance? (laughs) Yeah. It's just that unintended lameness that, yeah, it's shit, but there's, I don't know, there's something about it that is, like, kind of homely and charming, and I, I, I find it endearing for some reason. I think that might be your late WCW nostalgia kicking in that I don't have. <laughs> yeah, I think I have very different rose-tinted glasses uh, given when I started watching wrestling. Yes, that's almost certainly the case. I actually preferred this to the vast majority of the undercard that we had last week because Smiley had some good technique and then there was some unintentional comedy from the maestro because he's he he is pretty shit but i kind of enjoyed it in an ironic way i'm glad you enjoyed it in any way because i did not (laughs) um this didn't set the world on fire don't get me wrong but compared to the drek that we had last week and spoilers some of the drek we'll get to tonight it's it's all right Okay. <laughs> Next up, we go to MVP versus Horace. And when I say MVP, it's more Abe Knuckleball than it is Montel Vontavious. So don't get your hopes up. Um, MVP is the Kiss Demon blatantly ripping off. He's like the Wolfpack version of Abe Knuckleball Schwartz, if I can say that. It's just red and black instead of black and white. Yeah, I wrote MVP, not that one. <laughs> um, there was a package before this match um, it was hyping the Cruiserweight title match at Halloween Havoc because it's coming up on Sunday and Hudson calls Disco the most unlikely champion of all time uh, I actually have 
completely missed my note there, and we'll talk about the, the packages in between matches later on in the show as well. Oh, yeah. That actually led to some Cruiserweight talk bleeding over into this match as well. They started talking about how nobody's hold, held this title for longer than four months. This is such a competitive division, and it's like, you've got the Kiss Demon versus Horace Hogan. What's that got to do with anything? Yeah. Uh, they brawl on the outside early. Horace gets a bit of a beatdown before MVP comes back with a drop kick and a sunset flip for a two count. Horace gets some back elbows, and for some reason, his back elbow gets a road warrior pop. I just couldn't for the life of me figure out why this crowd was so pro-Horace tonight. <laughs> I had this as well. There was one point where he hot-shotted MVP into the top rope, and the crowd reacted like it was a championship win. It was incredible. Horace is getting over, brother. <laughs> it's especially incredible considering how many empty seats you can see in front of the hard camera. <laughs> yeah, they're a loud crowd. <laughs> <laughs> we get a suplex and a backbreaker for a two. Um, MVP comes back with a suplex of his own and a clothesline. This is a very basic match before Horace gets a German suplex and a Samoan drop for a one, two, three. And we go out to our next commercial break. Just a filler match, this one, in my opinion. I know, much more like it. It's horribly coordinated with little rhyme or reason. The piped-in noise suggested that Horace should have been the babyface here, and yet he was trying to get his feet on the ropes for a pinfall. I just couldn't follow this whatsoever. Nope, and it's best we don't try. So right <laughs> along to it, DDP Ric Flair video package. Oh, Jesus. Yep, uh, state of WCW, but don't worry because we're coming back with some high quality action now, and it's Curly Bill taking on. Um, oh, I can't remember. It's, it's Lash Larue. Lash Larue, yeah. Holy fuck! <laughs> the Cajun sensation. Sweeping the nation. <laughs> Curly Bill is just the absolute bottom of the barrel. Do you know, Duncan? I actually. I consider myself, or I used to at least, very knowledgeable on, on, on wrestling. I had no idea Curly Bill was a thing that ever existed up until we started doing this review. I, before Thunder got uploaded to the network, I would, out of morbid curiosity, when I was uh, I needed something on in the background to fall asleep to, I would find whatever old WCW footage I could find, and there was a random Thunder that called that had Virgil wrestling as Curly Bill, and I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah, just terrible. Um, we get a big clothesline and a Japanese arm drag from Big Verge early doors. Um, a swinging neck breaker as he goes on the attack and stays dominant. He's a bit of a beatdown, a slam, then he locks on a chin lock, um, which is just what this show needed, a Curly Bill chin lock. <laughs> The crowd, however, are really into it. <laughs> Lash Larue with his comeback is just a few, um, last just a few seconds before Virgil hits him with an arm breaker. But Lash Larue with the John Cena finish gets his Death Valley driver for the one, two, three. Uh, this achieved absolutely nothing because Curly Bill is a nobody and he dominated the batch for 90%, whereas Lash Larue got one move and one. Um, none from three here for me. Did you like it better than I did? I absolutely fucking did not. Right, let me get this straight. Mere hours before this match, you had Lash LaRue and he had his in-ring promo and he basically squashed a much bigger lad 
and he's got this cruiserweight title coming in. And now you follow that up with him basically having his ass handed to him by Virgil. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh, now you're starting to talk about Thunder the way I talk about it. It was only a matter of time. <laughs> <laughs> Though, uh, more commentary notes, when Virgil hit that clothesline, Hudson quipped, Running Lariat, not LaRue for a loop! Which I like the word played in. And Larry was talking about how Virgil knows... I'm not calling him Curly Bill, fuck off. Virgil knows more <laughs> wrestling than you'd think. He just chooses to take the easy way out. <laughs> oh my lord. <laughs> From here we go to our next video package, which is around the Filthy Animals, Harlem Heat, and the First Family tag team feud um and showing the filthy animals winning the tag titles supposedly that's an upset as well i know we were talking about lash's sideburns last week but good god hugh morris's beard is so stupid (laughs) hugh morris in general just everything he ever did he was a guy who i just never could understand the appeal on him at all i was uh I was a big Misfits in action mark as a little kid because of the, the camo and stuff like that. But I can't say I ever like have vivid memories of him wrestling other than doing a moonsault. And our next match is Harlem Heat taking on the Blue Bloods, um, Regal and Dave Taylor. Um, did not realise that Regal, again, we're talking about my, my wrestling knowledge, it's not as good as I thought it was. I didn't realise he actually returned to WCW between his WWF stints. Yeah, didn't didn't have a clue. Um, they start this match immediately in the ring, i.e. you had the Heat come out with the tag titles before you knew they were losing them and you had to edit it out. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that knocked me for a loop a little bit is Booker's wrestling in his singles gear, which I've never seen him do while he was in Harlem Heat. No, I guess like this is just a bit of a transition period where they come back together before breaking back off. It's... um. A bit like, I guess, when like the Hardys would team up in later years or something like that, perhaps. Hmm. We'll get a forearm from Booker T, and then um, Finley takes some cheap shots on the floor. He's out with Regal and Taylor, I should have mentioned. Booker T hits the bookend and a scissor kick, um, and Steve Regal... Um, comes to, uh, sorry, Stevie Ray takes a tag and clotheslines close, close everyone all around before we get a first family run-in, um, but the Heat send them packing um and we don't have any promos or anything afterwards just basically get rid of them and segment over Mm. basically the heat just ran through their opponents before you got that lame finish it's blatantly obvious to me how booker t deserves much more than he's being given at this stage he's he's great here and there's just a dynamism to his moveset and things like that that just screams, get this guy further up the card. Yeah, the divide between him and Stevie Ray was really blatantly obvious at this point as well. Oh, yeah. And I like Stevie Ray, but like just Booker T like runs rings around him in the ring. We get a video package on Sid, and then we... Um, oh, and basically... My, my note here says it looks like the creator mode slash GM mode is just being rushed as we uh, as the format of this show piles on because it's just match, segment, match, segment, match, segment. No promos, no in-ring, no vignettes. It's all just match video, match video. Um, 
and then we go back out to another commercial. So it's at this point that it was really starting to dawn on me that like they put no effort into writing this show whatsoever. Yeah, this is one of the heaviest sections of the show for video packages. So it starts off with the Sid one. His the song in the package had the lyrics. It was talking about shake that bottle of rage or something. Oh god. There was a, a I presume it was a crowd in the sign. It said Sid enough said, which I rather liked. And then we saw Goldberg run out and have the hoo-ha with Sid's attorneys over losing his opportunity. And it looked to me like Goldberg had stuff written on his trunks. And I'd never seen that for his WCW tenure. Nice, good spot. I didn't pick that up. Um, And you're right about the video packages because we go out of that into a Goldberg video package and then out of that into a Berlin video package, which just seems like random generator pressed all over there. Yeah, so they refer to Goldberg as the bomb ahead of his VT. That's a very 99-2000 term, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Very kind of not another teen movie slang here. I What I liked about this was they timed all the slams and bumps uh, to his theme, so like the, the drums. So that was pretty effective. And then uh, one about Berlin, he, he's basically like, he wants to destroy as many American wrestlers as he can. Well, it's a good job he came to America to wrestle, then, isn't it? Yeah, it seems like he's been on that path for a while. <laughs> We then go to our next matchup, which is Kendall Wyndham versus Brad Armstrong. So the star power kicks up a notch. Kendall's, of course, out with Curly Bill because we need two Curly Bill appearances on a Thunder. <laughs> oh, double West Texas Regnecks payday. When the the chorus hits, it goes, Ah, hey, rap. Hudson goes, Who hates rap? <laughs> State the fucking up. <laughs> it just reminded me of that time on SmackDown when the Big Show came out and it went, well, well, it's a big show. And Michael Cole went, it's the big show. <laughs> Is there an echo in here? <laughs> Is there an echo in here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Kendall with the neck breaker, um, Brad with his arm drags. Big clothesline from Kendall and then the chin lock. Um a forearm from Brad and a power slam before Curly makes a distraction and we get the first WCW inch instance on the timeline of Rochambeau! Yes! I marked <laughs> the fuck out for this! That brought my attention back to the screen very quickly. This is like one of them terms my brother and I, like whenever we, because we were WWF fans, we'd make fun of WCW as it was dying off. And this was always one of the terms we used to used to mock them, Rochambeau! <laughs> oh, that brought me right back. We then get a ref bump because Brad Armstrong can't lose to Kendall Wyndham clean on Thunder. Uh, they use the loaded boot. Uh, actually, sorry. Um, <laughs> we use a loaded boot, but it accidentally hits Kendall. And then Brad finishes him off with a Russian leg sweep for the one, two, three. What a. Oh, just. There's no words to describe how. Like. Who thought people wanted to watch this shit? <laughs> yeah, he wins with a Russian leg sweep. Some American patriot he is. <laughs> oh, just the worst of the worst, these matches. I, I mean, 
it was very rudimentary and low rent. I didn't care about this, even though there wasn't anything fundamentally wrong with the wrestling here. It occurred to me watching this that Brad Armstrong is the spitting image of Rob Conway. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's, there's nothing wrong with the guys that are on the show. And like, I sound like I'm being a bit of a prick because like a lot of these guys, like I'm glad they have a job and WCW's bloated roster allowed these guys to get paid. Like I don't want people being unemployed and not able to earn a living, but you just can't fill entire shows with these guys every week. Like, you know, put on a few multi-man matches, make some tag teams, have a battle royal here or there, but it can't be the Maestro versus Norman Smiley, MVP versus Horace, Curly Bill versus Lash LaRue, and then we've still got Kendall versus Brad Armstrong to come. It's just, it's awful. I don't understand how they get away with it. It's just too many top-line stars that want a lighter schedule and... But, like, WCW didn't even really have that extensive of a house show circuit either. So you'd think when it's, like, television time, you get your shit together and organise more of the acts that people actually want to see. Can't they just put, like, one or two of the the big star programs on Thunder each week and rotate so, like, everybody does every Nitro and everyone's in line to do one Thunder? Maybe not Hogan because he gets paid per Thunder, but how hard would it be to have one week Macho Man and Stinger on Thunder and the next week it's DDP and Flair and the following week it's Bret Hart and Goldberg and on the last week it's Sin. Like, how hard would that be? They all do one Thunder per month. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to it later on. He's out out of here and doesn't have any influence. But hearing you, your sort of plan here just takes me back to how supposedly Brett was Bischoff signing to bolster Thunder and be the workhorse of the brand and stuff and how that very much didn't pan out. No, he just very quickly isn't on there like everybody else. <laughs> Uh, we then go to Silver King and Hoovertude versus Kaz Hayashi and Blitzkrieg for a bit of cruiserweight action in a tag match here. <coughs> um, apologies as well for the coughing all through this. I am just about over my sickness, but um, yeah, it's probably going to bleed through into the show, so I do apologize to everyone. Silver King with a nice flapjack for a two. Uh, a quick exchange between Hoovy and Kaz. We get a DDT from Hoovy and then a crossbody to the heels. Um, Blitzkrieg with a Pele kick for a two as we go to a commercial. We come back and we get a nice corkscrew sent on from Blitzkrieg. A spinning kick from Hoovy and then a sloppy uh, double team that takes way too long in the ring by Kaz and Blitzkrieg. They just didn't quite get it together. Uh, the referee just lets them carry on for like 15, 20 seconds though, so no harm done. Um, we get a warm tag and Silver King comes in with a missile drop kick to both. We get a few botches here in, in the run into the end. Silver King and Blitzkrieg in particular. Um, we get counts for the non-legal man as well, which just throws this whole thing into disarray. Before we get a cool double uh, springboard moonsault by Silver King, Hoovy hits a top rope runner and then the Hoovy driver for the one, two, three. It's a shame that the um, ending sequence was really quite badly botched because there were a few decent moves sprinkled amongst this one. There was a really sick tumble over the top at the end with Silver King and Blitzkrieg that looked kind of scary. This match had one of my biggest Thunder irritations in it. You talked about them cutting to commercial, and they cut to the commercial with like 
other lads in a certain position and when they return they're in exactly the same spot as they were when the commercial hit just totally insulting the audience again I thought there was some cool stuff in this like a hip toss into the Pele that you described um, Hoovy seemed to be suffering by the end of this he was really really he looked totally knackered running for some of the Irish whips at the end yeah, the workhorse has probably been carrying the load for a few others over the last few weeks, I dare say. <laughs> Hudson went into overdrive calling it a match of the year candidate, and no, it wasn't, but it's still like years <laughs> ahead of the rest of tonight's action. Um, <laughs> I thought it got a bit samey when the heels got the heat on uh, Hoovy, but it still had a lot going on to entertain, even though I guess they were going with lucha rules at the end when they were losing tracks of the tags. My note says Hudson has the nerve to call this a match of the year candidate. Fuck right off, my friend. <laughs> well, it probably is for him because he's been stuck just watching Saturday Night and Worldwide and Pro and whatever. This might be the best match he's commentated on so far this year, and I'd allow that. Um, <laughs> that is plausible. We then get a recap of an angle from Nitro, which I'm going to splice in for everyone to have a little listen to here. <laughs> And let's just say that the Queen Mary has come in and there's two new sheriffs in town and they think I'm buff and I'm the stuff and it's got them all up in a huff. I'm the one going to take World Championship Wrestling back to the promised land. Why don't you just step aside and let me show you how I'm going to shine like no star you've ever seen before because Mean Gene, it's all in the stroke. Something's bothering him. He's almost mocking himself. He told LaParker, come over and kick me in the head. They're enjoying it in the back. Hey, Russo, did I do a good job for you? Oh, look at this. What is this? It's... Oh. Hey, Hey, Bob. I got your stroke right here. I could not wait for this one. Yeah, they were talking it up in one of the other undercard matches about (laughs) Buff apparently being the chosen one and then he phoned it in against LaParka and then when this package hit, I was just, oh boy, we've reached that territory, Lee. And that is what I was dreading, Duncan. Um, We're now in the everything's fake era of WCW officially. Um, Buff with his... Did I do a good enough job for you, Russo? And what probably did catch me by surprise is how quickly Russo's name's mentioned on the air for someone who doesn't want to be a talent. Hmm, yeah. Speaking of quick turnarounds, look who turned up to uh, Bagwell one. (laughs) (laughs) It's now his world. (laughs) <laughs> I got your stroke right here. <laughs> oh, well, he shouldn't have kept pissing him off. <laughs> uh, no competes must have not been a thing back then. Yeah, I I guess not. Maybe it was because his contract expired rather than being fired. I don't know. Mm. People are keeping an eye on Cesaro for that reason, apparently. Um, but Nothing seems to be turning up. He's too busy plugging his coffee. 
surely AEW has, and we don't normally talk modern wrestling too often, but surely they've poached as many talents as they can feasibly poach for their roster now. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, no one seems to be making a big impact anymore, do they? I mean, when they have, like, Daniel Bryan and Adam Cole debut on the same night, that should tell you that, like, it's probably getting the overkill. Keith Lee seems to have already been an afterthought. Malachi Black doesn't appear to be doing anything of note. Like, I'm not a... I don't really watch AEW, other than, like, I I like to check out the clips of of the people I like and what they're up to. But, yeah, their roster is heading into WCW territory from where I sit. Following the shows week to week as as much as I can, I'm I'm way behind. Um, there seems to be it's very very in ring focused and like stuff that you'd cry out for to like mix it up a little bit with the pace and stuff like vignettes and stuff get left for the YouTube shows. They have like countdown shows and that's where they get like the Blackpool Combat Club vignette. Um, Eddie Kingston yesterday had a really immense promo about uh, his alcoholism and how that ties in with his feud with Jericho. So you're kind of missing a whole bunch of stuff that could bring a bit more variety and character to your show because, oh shit, we got to give people the best in-ring show. And I don't think you, you need that as your sole focus. No, I tend to agree. Um, and speaking of giving everyone your best in-ring show, our next match is Rick Steiner versus La Barca. Uh, Rick's got a TV title shot with Benoit at Halloween Havoc, which actually sounds an alright match on paper. And uh, oh, he starts off cutting a promo. I liked his line about... Um, He's waiting on fresh meat, so come with a dog pound. Yeah, I don't mind Rick Steiner, to be fair. Um, the match doesn't last oh. too long. What's that, sorry? Oh, that's what it is. Oh, um, I, there was some kind of beeping from your end. Oh, okay. I didn't hear it. My bad. Ah, um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I liked... Um, Steiner in his promo when he was talking about he's waiting on fresh meat, so you got to come to the dog pound. Yeah, good line. I don't mind Rick Steiner is what I was saying when it cut out. Um, the match itself doesn't last too long. They exchange some belly-to-bellies. They brawl on the outside. Rick hits a German for a two. Um, they talk to us about Rick versus Benoit for the TV title at Havoc, as you mentioned. And then we get a top-rope bulldog for the one, two, three. This was a bit of a squash, which was a shame because I was just raving on the last episode that it looked like they were putting La Parker into the main event scene on Thunder, but that is already done and dusted. <clears throat> yeah, they were the highlight of their match last week, and I enjoyed this. Like Rick's offense isn't totally clean, but it's still fun to see him just unload on someone. I thought it was funny. La Parker had to come out with a firm plastic chair instead of a metal folding one, and that yeah. didn't quite work. Indeed, I, I do like La Parker. I've got a soft spot for him. Um, yeah. Then we go to that video package describing what you're talking about with Benoit beating Rick Steiner for the TV title. It was a bit of a weird one because Benoit's out talking about getting a world title shot. Rick Steiner comes out and goes, no, you can have a TV title shot at me. So Benoit beats him for the TV title. Like, what a weird segment. It's so strange. Like, I don't get how some wrestlers magically get booking power where appropriate. Yeah, 
and to give away a shot at your title seems very strange. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever. We then go to a package on Hulk Hogan versus Sting. Then we go to a package on the tag team titles, which is the exact same package we saw earlier in the evening. And then it cuts to the exact same package we saw about Buff Bagwell jobbing, then to the same Sid package. For fuck's sake, what is going on? Someone has just put all the video packages back together and put them into one big segment because they have nothing else to show. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, we started off with a package on the brand new Sting, and now we're back into the brand new Nitro. We finally hit fresh footage with probably one of the most surreal parts of the package. Bill Goldberg is backstage with ICP, and he asks where Sting is and then beats them up for not telling him. This was about eight video packages in a row, most of which we'd already seen on this episode. It's uh, actually this segment ranked on the Hamelock scale for me, and I gave it a full (laughs) 10 out of 10 for wasting all of our fucking time. Like, if you don't have a show to put on, don't put a show on. But if you're going to commit to 90 minutes of TV time, put a fucking match in the ring, give someone an interview backstage, do anything. But just to re-air all the video packages back-to-back was horrendous. (laughs) Yeah, the the new stuff uh, got quite eventful with... Kimberly giving David Flair her room key, and then Rick turned up and promised a 14-time spanking instead. Uh, The Outsiders were at ringside and they beat up Goldberg, but they got kicked out. And I put that in quotes because they were still wandering around backstage. WCW security is not very good. (laughs) They saw them to the backstage area and then hoped they'd leave. (laughs) <laughs> even Mean Gene approached them and they were wearing Lucha masks for some reason and then Kevin Nash was ill Medusa was complaining about being in an evening gown match and then lost to Mona and then in a great transition Brett had a moan <laughs> love it he wanted a fight with Hogan but Sting gave him a title shot instead Total Package screwed him out with the bat Sting attacked Goldberg. Uh, the Brett came out for revenge, and broke the back against broke the bat against the post when he swung for Sting's face. As you do, <laughs> as you do, and then, like you say, we're in package overload. We follow that up with another video package about Hitman and packages feud. Mm, I can't get used to calling him package instead of Lex Luger as well. That's really doing my head in already. Brett, um, I watched Halloween Havoc after this and Brett uh, had to cut a promo and he totally no-sold it. He was just like, oh, Lex Luger, Lex Luger. I know you're tough, Lex Luger. And to be fair, I think Tanae kind of fouled up and fed him by starting talking about Lex Luger first, but still, it's just kind of funny. Indeed. Um, and from there, we go to our main event, which is Total Package with Liz taking on Buff Bagwell. And this is a short one because, you know, we just didn't have enough time in the show. Um, there was nothing we could have possibly cut to give the main event some decent time and to have a decent match. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we get a hip toss and a slam from Buff. Lex with a clothesline and a forearm. Buff with a crossbody for a two before Liz crutches him on the ropes and he gets racked for the submission victory and we go off the air in what was about a two or three minute match tops here. 
Yeah. Typical plodding, brawling, nothing Thunder main event. Hudson put it best. Package, not wasting any energy. Yep, he did not waste any energy in this match. Apart from, thankfully, when he was doing his trademark Lex Luger selling. Thunder uh, and WCW creative team not wasting any energy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Uh, All right, well, that is Thunder in the can. Thank God. Um, I actually didn't prepare a halftime segment today so did you have anything you wanted to talk about off the top of your head duncan oh shit um if not we'll fumble for something <laughs> <laughs> all right oh, you shit. About... No, no, you're giving me an idea now um alex hammerston who's the mlw champion um was uh coming out to the ring for one of his matches and um, he literally face-planted himself on the ramp and had to like improvise around it and um, even went out of his way to tell Matthew of Botchamania to put it on there but just put a link to his merch as well. So, um, <laughs> what's your favourite wrestling fumble? Favourite wrestling fumble? Oh, it's, it's got to be... I think the the SummerSlam sign falling on Rick Rude. I think that's got to be my favorite, my my least favorite because I had such high hopes and it seemed to derail him. Was the Ultimo Dragon fall at WrestleMania twenty? Oh yeah, that got edited out of the DVD, so I didn't even realize that happened until Botchamania was a thing. What about you? What's some favorite to yours? My so the Titus O'Neil slip slide is that's obviously good. immense. That's the only time I ever watched the Saudi Arabia show just for that. Um, <laughs> I think my absolute favourite vote is... I think we talked about it before and it actually got edited out of the, the episode, but the one time The Rock was cutting a promo and his glasses fell off mm-hmm. and Mankind had to pick them up for him and he went, The Rock thanks you for that. That was that was immense. I loved that. Um, what about the... Um... Actually, two more good ones. The bike not starting for Hulk Hogan when he's trying to chase the Undertaker up the ramp. And (laughs) to bring it full circle, because we said we don't talk about modern wrestling, one that got um, replicated this weekend is the Matt Hardy fall over the ropes. And um, one of the Young Bucks decided to... They did a a Hardy's cosplay. I don't know the context behind it, but I saw the clip of him uh, mimicking the Matt Hardy fall over the ropes, and it did make me laugh. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, I've not caught up on um, what happened on Rampage yet. Okay, that's pretty funny. Um, Undertaker, when he was wrestling John Cena at Vengeance 2003, had bike issues as well, and he spent like 30 seconds on the ramp trying to restart his bike after parking it on on the top to do his pose, and he just like sat cross-armed and walked to the ring instead and Michael Cole had to sell it like look at the Undertaker, he's so serious, he's walking down to the ring, he's so intense he's not messing around tonight <laughs> oh that's classic um, some good ones in there as well um, definitely some, some good wrestling botches if anyone's got any they want to add to the list please shout out, but um, that's a pretty decent list that one as well, and neither has mentioned Kalisto and his um is is doomed run full of botches either. <clears throat> he did a good lucha thing, though. What was that? Sorry, 
He did a good lucha thing. What's that? That's his. That's his famous promo when um it was for the 2016 draft and they just had everybody do unscripted promos and he literally ran away from the interview because he didn't know what to say. He's like, I want to do good lucha things. Yeah, <laughs> literally ran away from the interview. Oh my god, I've never seen that before. That's hilarious. Oh my gosh, yeah, check that down. Definitely. All right. Well, that's halftime in the can, and now we head over to SmackDown and get our desserts. Oh, yes. have a no mercy recap to start with the rock accidentally cost stone cold the title with the um the sledgehammer they announce a triple threat match on raw which is going to be the rock austin and triple h um and our commentary team for this one is michael cole and jerry lawler we pan and see all the signs um and we then start the show out as i mentioned earlier with mankind um and it looks as though since our last show he has lost the tag team titles Mm. I liked as well in the, the build-up to that triple threat, Rock was somehow the number one contender on his own, and then Austin came out and we got the famous, eh, eh! <laughs> objecting to it. That was great. Um, it definitely seemed like at this point in 99, I was very invested in the product at this point in time, that the Rock, Austin and Triple H were all on this big collision course, and it yeah, it just never happened. I know, I can't believe it. Mankind comes out and talks about his book. Um, by the way, that was an absolute game changer for literature. Um, Mankind made it possible for other wrestlers to write books that would sell copies. Um, so bravo, sir. Um, a lot of my bookshelf thanks you for that. Very, very good book. Yeah, we we were discussing uh, his follow-up on the podcast uh, recently. But um, there's some details in his promo about it here. He only started writing it on May the 7th. Yeah, it's crazy, and all written by hand. 17 handwritten notebook worth, notebooks worth of handwriting. Yeah, that, that is an immense turnaround. I just want to bring in a little memento here. The Rock and Sock Connection Jacket. You remember this. Yeah, Rock and Sock, your jacket. You know what? You called me out here for that? Well, I just want to make a mention of the fact that the whole time I wore this jacket, did you realize I knew that I looked like a horse's ass in this jacket? Do you know why I continue to wear it? Yeah, why? Because I knew that it was fun. And I wanted to provide fun on your television show. But it seems that somewhere along the line, somebody forgot that underneath the rock and sock connection jacket, that I was the same man who won the WWF belt three times. He's got a point there. That I was the same man who wrestled with his tooth stuck up his damn nose. 
and that I was the same man who wrestled with his ear ripped clean off his skull. Yeah, he's given a lot. So what? I want you to remember that underneath it all, that maybe I don't have the little $500 shirts. Maybe I can't raise my stupid eyebrow, and maybe I don't have 329 catchphrases. But I'm here to say that I am every bit as good as, if not better than, an ingrateful little son of a like The Rock. His staging is sit-in, which brings out Vince McMahon, um, cuts a scathing promo on The Rock, wants to take on The Rock for his title shot, which brings out The Rock. Yeah, it took Mick accusing him of having no testicular fortitude to bring him out. And then, I tell you what, the bloodline was running thick here. Roman Reigns level stalling from The Rock coming out. <laughs> Where he comes out to mention the people's testicles. <laughs> um, and then Rock, in a bit of um, high school one-upmanship after Mankind leaves, asks Vince if Austin has to defend his spot too then. Yeah, right. So <laughs> I can't believe this. Like, I'm with Vince here. I'm like, uh, bro, what the fuck? You were the one that accepted Mick's challenge. Why are you complaining about being hard done to? Yeah, so Vince says that nobody's challenged him, which brings out the big Valboski. And I can, at this point in time, safely say which of the two title shots is in more jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> Michael um, Cole. Um, a bit of a clanger talking about the divorce of rock and sock connection. <laughs> Good grief. Val gets in Vince's face to challenge. Austin comes out. I never realized Val actually like got this involved in the main event scene. Um, but Austin lays him out. The ring empties. The challenge is accepted. And we end with the rock and Austin staring each other down, which is a- another step in one of the best rivalries in the history of wrestling. Mm. <laughs> We then go to Lillian with Triple H. Al Snow asks him if he's wrestling, um, um, which is doesn't make Triple H happy at all. We go to a commercial and we come back and Vince tells Triple H that he'll be defending the title against Al Snow. <laughs> yeah, so H tells Al, you barely deserve to be in the building. And then <laughs> <laughs> when Triple H is like, fuck off, I'm not wrestling Al Snow. Vince is like, what? You mean you can't beat him? <laughs> that was a nice bit of McMahon mind game there. This seemed to be the night to chant your arm. You never know what you'll get out of it. <laughs> we then go to Tess taking on the British Bulldog who comes out with the Mean Street posse. Um, we've got, I've got here, Tess has got some severe acne on his shoulders when we go. Oh, God, yeah. Gross. Terrible, isn't it? Tony Chimmel sounded like the least excited person in the world when he was announcing tests. <laughs> yeah. That's a mean. Tess is all right. Um, but know. the posse coming out with the Bulldog, obviously this isn't going to be a fair fight. So Tess brings out Edge and Christian and somehow it just randomly gets changed to a tag match. Again, wrestlers having booking power when it's appropriate. This is so weird. And it just seemed to just happen. But also... One of the posse knew that it wouldn't be fair if it was four on three, so he just stayed at ringside. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so the bell rings. We get a, a missile drop kick from Edge early. Double team hip toss before we get a back suplex from Joey Abs. Uh, Six-man brawl. Pete Gas, of course, is the one that sits out. 
test with a clothesline um, and then a sit-out powerbomb for a two. Another six-man brawl. We get a stacked-up superplex from DNC. Um, test with the top rope elbow for the one, two, three. Um, only short, but a, a decent little match here and got some of the favourites on screen. That finish was really cool, like kind of in the style of Power and Glory's old finisher. And when Tess was going for the cover, Edge hit Pete Gas with a spear to stop him from breaking up a fall. That was totally brilliant. I thought it was a bit of a nothing match before that, but that made it worthwhile. The crowd were not into Tess when he got his hot tag either. No, it's a shame. We then see Big Show arrive in a leather suit, which is a little bit unusual. Yeah, leather suit and leather shirt. Looks like he just stripped a couch and decided to wear it. Oh my god, can you imagine? You know, like um, in Always Sunny when Danny DeVito just rips himself out of the sofa. I've never seen that, but I can only imagine. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember the context, but for some reason he's like sewn inside a leather sofa, naked, and he like rips himself out, and he's all sweaty, and he's a, like a, a Hindu or something, and he's just like waddling off. Like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, we see GTV showing Big Boss Man pranking the Big Show about his dad dying. Um which was a little bit rough. Lillian Garcia is with an angry Big Show. And then Kevin Kelly is with Al Snow, um, who says after 12 years, he's finally going to get his opportunity. But the sentiment doesn't last long as Triple H attacks him before we go out to commercial. Yeah, so Big Show, who had gone from one outrageous shirt to an even more outrageous shirt in the time it took to show that GTV clip. Big Show is a snazzy dresser here in late 99. <laughs> we then get Triple H defending the World Heavyweight title against Al Snow. Al comes out of the crowd. Triple H with a nice neck breaker as we see Stone Cold watching backstage, but in a normal viewing angle for anyone wondering. Yes, sensible, sensible man. Cole was rather amusing. He was postulating that Triple H attacked Al in the back because he's afraid of Al Snow. Yeah. <clears throat> the Rock's watching backstage as well as they brawl on the outside. Al hits a nice enziguri and then his headbutts until they both fall. Um, Al lands on Triple H's balls. He hits a Northern Lights for a two, a backslide for a two, small package and sunset flips for twos. Before Triple H comes back with a knee, for some reason goes to the top rope and gets crutched. Al Snow with the superplex for a two. Before Triple H ends the hope of Al Snow with the pedigree and the one, two, three. Foregone conclusion, wasn't it? inoffensive in the ring but totally heatless like by the time they were up for that superplex the crowd was still so quiet yeah it's almost as if they hadn't been sweetened at all (laughs) fair play king had a a decent line here triple h is the thinking man's wrestler and al snow hasn't had a thought in his life Uh, from there, we go to our next matchup, which is a Rock versus Mankind. Um, Rock cuts a promo, and Jerry Lawler has an absolute fit over the subject of the promo, and that subject is pie. He doesn't even know it. We don't even know if Mankind's talking about it yet. Oh, there's been plenty of talk. Believe me. And we're fixing to hear a little more talking before the talk is finally over. Oh, a cue card. Finally, The Rock has come back to Louisville! 
like the first great one. Mankind, you want to come out here and challenge The Rock? Run your mouth? Well, The Rock says this. Tonight, he is simply going to serve you up a piece of pie. Uh-oh. A piece of pie? Oh, boy! We know what kind of pie Rock serves. <laughs> now, The Rock says there are many type of pies. Yeah? There's shepherd's pie. No, 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 no. That's not the good kind of pie. Apple pie. No, Rock. Starts with a P. Yeah, come on, you know it, kind. Yes. Pumpkin pie. <laughs> no. P. And the ever so lovable Poontang pie. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Oh, it's gonna screw up the Poontang pie. <laughs> yeah, Rock was building up the crowd to the eventual pie that he was serving. Um, he mentioned Poontang Pie at one point and that got a big pop, but no, 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 he's giving Mick the people's pie. It sounds a little unusual for my take. Um, <laughs> a bit of innuendo going on there that he might not have meant. Val comes out before we start and he joins the commentary team. He's getting a, um, a pretty good push here, but my note says I'm pretty certain it's going to be the one-month Billy Gunn push, so don't get used to it. Oh, he wishes it was Billy Gunn's push. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we got a slugfest. Uh, Val is um, reading quotes from Mankind's book. Anytime, anything he can find that has a negative comment about The Rock, um, including, um, what was it the comment? This is that the kid just doesn't have it or something just like that. Just doesn't have it, yeah. That's, that's the one. We're going to met suplex from Mankind on the, ra- on the, on the ramp. Uh, the Rock's working with injured ribs. We get the apron elbow to the floor. Rock hits a neckbreaker for a two. Mankind with a slam and um, a another elbow. Um, we get a DDT from the Rock for a two. Mankind with a double arm for a two. And then Mr. Socko. But the Rock hits a low blow, which for some reason doesn't bring a disqualification. Val, however, comes in and nails Mick Foley with the book. And that one brings a disqualification. So a bit of um, <coughs> interpretation from the referees here. Um we get a rock bottom on Val. Triple H comes out and he pedigrees the rock. Um, we still have no clue on the decision, but Michael Cole assures us the rock is still the number one contender. However, I'm not really sure how, because if he was disqualified, then mankind would be the number one contender. This whole segment just screamed nobody proofread any of it to me. Yeah, big mess. I rather liked that Mick did his trademark flying elbow off the apron and the rock was so close to getting counted out. That was a cool element to this match. It was an elementary back and forth. Uh, it was entertaining enough, even though it's not going to go down as one of their best ever matches together. No, definitely not. But um, the ending definitely spoiled it as well. It probably would have been, a, um, even if we just had a decisive like you know disqualification where Mankind gets disqualified and misses his chance, that would have been totally fine. But yeah, the, the mess they left us in here wasn't great. Well, as we know, Lee, they're down two writers in the writers' room now, so they just don't have anybody that has a chance to check this stuff. <laughs> uh, we then see Mae Young and Moolah warming up for their match against one another, and we see the Lugs boot of the week, which was Moolah nailing Mae Young. <laughs> yep, Lugs boots and shoes are tough enough to handle everything. 
May challenges Moolah for her women's title. May jumps her early and does crotch chops, which always popped me when May Young did the crotch chop. Um, we get a snap there, and then Jerry Lawler says, this is how the dinosaurs became extinct, and it really did pop me. <laughs> uh, some outside brawling. May Young puts her hand down the referee's top and then um, gets thrown off. We get some Moolah crotch chops before Ivory comes out and attacks Moolah and May. Um, Tori comes out and spears her. Jacqueline comes out. Uh, Luna comes out, and the refs eventually break up the big schmoz. I smell the Survivor Series match incoming. I didn't quite realise Luna lasted this long either. For some reason, like she's been, I, I don't recall her being on a pay per view all year. Uh, she uh, she was on Unforgiven, and she had the hardcore match with Ivory. Um, I don't oh, yeah. really think she's on week to week. She would turn up again for the Miss Royal Rumble contest, um, but I think that was when she finally decided to pack it in and had had enough with the booking. Um, what was with that bit where May had the hand down the ref shirt and then they were like bumping together as if she had like assimilated him like she's Venom or something? <laughs> oh, part of the fun of Moolah in May in 99. Uh, this was a dud of a match. The only old joke from Lawler that popped me was Moolah used to have no enemies because Moolah's, Moolah is used to having no enemies because she'd lived, she'd outlived them all. <laughs> oh my god. At least this was like somewhat amusing, but yeah, uh, totally terrible wrestling. Um, we see Mark Henry's fifth attempt at sex therapy. This one's with the Godfather, and this seems like the most sensible approach. Take the hose. Long-term booking here, he mentioned some guy almost got his wig split. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I should have put that in there. Um, that definitely popped me at the time. And we go to the Hardys versus the Hollies, and the Hollies are the tag team champions. Uh, yeah, they won them on Raw after the whole... Mick and Rock drama. We get a baseball slide from Jeff Hardy. Matt Hardy with an apron, uh, sorry, yeah, and a clothesline off the apron to the floor. Jeff with a corkscrew moonsault to the floor. Hardcore Holly with a clothesline and a hot shot before the Hollies double team for a while. Matt comes back with a double neck breaker. Jeff with a double missile drop kick and the Swanton, which only garners a two. Poetry in motion on Crash. Um, they go to do the same to Hardcore, but Hardcore hits them with a drop kick midair for the one, two, three in what was a very impressive end to the match. Yeah, nice finish. There was at one point Jeff did a Sasuke special to the outside that was pretty cool as well. But what I still don't get is it's another match with so little heat from the crowd. Yeah, they're just not quite digging this show tonight, are they? No, I don't get it. I also don't get throwing away the Hardys title shot like this after they'd supposedly had the greatest ladder match ever, the way commentary was hyping them up. And then they lost as well. Like, you know, they tried, but this match was a much harder sell than it should have been. Yeah, I get the feeling that they didn't realise what they had in the Hardys and Edge and Christian just yet in the booking shows, but obviously they're learning quickly. But yeah, this um, it's not an immediate rise. Very similar to, I guess, a lot of people in history where they have this defining moment and you think it's just up and up. But really, when you go back and look, actually, no, that might be the light bulb moment, but it still takes a little bit to break through the rest of it. Oh, yeah. It, this company totally has a history of 
not knowing when they're onto a good thing. The outlaws come out and they run off the hollies. Um, big show, we see backstage trashing a locker room, wanting the boss man. Um, it's given me very nails vibes. This um, <laughs> um, boss man comes out with the cop that faked the the, the dad's death. Um, they mock the big show before he comes out and absolutely murders the cop with three choke slams. Mm, yeah, it's my favorite kind of choke somewhere. He like goes to his knees and plants him. It oh, just looks like he killed him. It's brilliant. The fans. Um, we're happy to sing along to Road Dog's song earlier, so they do have tongues in their mouths. Yeah, just not super hot. No. Um, <clears throat> Road Dog bumps into Stone Cold backstage, and I rewound this three times, and I have no clue what they said to one another in a rare piece of poor production from the Fed. Yeah, all I could hear was, there goes the neighbourhood. Yeah, no idea what was actually said. No, no clue. And I don't get why they'd even be interacting with each other. No, it was a just a weird thing, wasn't it? Like, oh goddamn, kid, I got me wrestling veil tonight. I'm not feeling it, kid. Yeah, creative had nothing for me. <laughs> uh, we got Godfather and Mark Henry taking on Midian and Viscera. Um, Michael Cole says pimping may not be easy, but it sure looks like fun. Oh. <laughs> Um, the Godfather intro is quite over. You talked about the crowd not really being into it, but the Godfather spiel here definitely gets a big pop from the crowd. Yeah, for sure. I was confused about this match. I thought it was going to be a singles match, and then suddenly it was a tag match. It's another pattern that's going through tonight. My note here says pretty much the same thing. Wasn't this meant to be a singles? It's just changed to a tag with no explanation. Is this the post-Russo hangover? Hmm. In the match, basically nothing happens. We get a pair of clotheslines, a hoe trade, and a big Mark Henry splash for the one, two, three, and it's over in a flash. Yeah, just filler. I mean, at least it was short because it was pretty shit. Yeah, yeah. We then go to our main event. Main event, Val Venus taking on Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, they do some chain wrestling early. Michael Cole with some dodgy um, video game style commentary where he says, Look at the action in the ring with these two superstars. <laughs> there was also some dodgy editing on for running the ropes as well. Like They seem to suddenly change direction. That seems to be a, another trope that we're seeing a lot. Stone Cold with an eye poke and then stomps the hands of Val. Val with a clothesline and clotheslines Austin out to the floor. A suplex on the floor and a camel clutch before Austin locks in a sleeper. A fez press and the elbow for two. Val Venus does his cool, like, uh, Irish whip running knees where he runs with the person he's Irish whipped. Austin with a stun gun. Val Venus with a top rope axe handle. They brawl along the outside, and when they get back in, Austin hits a stunner for the one, two, three. Triple H comes out and hits Austin with a pedigree. Rock comes out and hits a rock bottom on Triple H. So those three just keep interacting, and we definitely appear headed to a major showdown. Yeah, Triple H gets shit canned. Austin and Rock are staring off again. <laughs> Pretty huge main event in the in the build up for Survivor Series. Uh, what did you make to the match? It was okay. Val, like, it's funny, right? Like, I, I Val never screamed to me that he had the potential to be a main event guy. I liked Val, but he was very much lower mid card in my eyes. Whereas, like we talked about Billy Gunn, like I could definitely see the potential in Billy Gunn moving up the card. Val, I just never got that vibe from. There's definitely some things that he does 
as a worker that Oh, that's actually kind of pretty cool. Like you're saying, like the the hanging on with the knees and then in the, in the leg sweep. I, I always liked when he'd do that. And you know, he's got a good move set. And you think about was it when he wrestled D'Lo at SummerSlam '98? Yep, great opener. I, that I was fab. He's just one of those guys that got saddled with his first gimmick and could never overcome it. Mm. Like the gate, they would eventually figure out how to do the more serious Val later on into 2000, and he had a really good rivalry with Rikishi. Um, but, yeah, they say it, it's a hard gimmick to overcome. I thought this was passable, and it had some interesting moments, but the most entertainment value I got from this was just trying to figure out whether Austin's actually interested in playing ball or not. Because there's some points where he seemed to really sympathise with Val, and he was pulling out some of the old Stunning Steve stuff, and then the next moment, he just doesn't appear to be selling. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's funny you mentioned Rikishi, actually, because I think Rikishi suffered from this stigma where the, the gimmick change is just too drastic, too quick, and it doesn't get over. Mm, yeah. But yeah, I think Val, like, I don't know. I just, not for me. I think they had other capable guys. And like, there's a lot of guys on this roster that I really have a, a lot of time for that I wish had gotten that run near the top, like Test, the Bulldog, X-Park, even Road Dog to an extent. Like, I think there's guys on the roster with more star power than Val. And yeah, I, I don't know, maybe Val's a better worker in the ring. That's, you know, entirely possible. But the, the disconnect with the crowd here, I definitely think was felt. Yeah, I can see that totally. I just don't think either of the three guys look to be in any serious jeopardy at all, and that's including Mankind going after The Rock. Like, it's quite clear at this point in time with The Undertaker gone that these three guys are head and shoulders above the rest of the roster, and that's not a bad position to be in. Unlike WCW, where we've got 10 or 12 guys who don't appear on Thunder, we've just got three guys here who are clearly the main event. But, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with letting them mix things up with people lower down the card if it's just on TV and just like a, a testing the waters thing. When you had Val the previous week beating Mankind, that's just not... That's definitely too much too soon. Yeah, I agree. And I think like a lot of these guys, once they've been around for a couple of years, like there needs to be a bit of momentum before they build them up. Like I don't recall mm. Val Venus having a big winning streak before entering the main event. No, I've, I'm totally blanking on what his booking was before all this. Yeah, you know what? Like, I think to, like, SummerSlam 99, I don't even know if Val Venus was on the card. He wasn't in the King of the Ring that I can recall. Like, mm. WrestleMania 15, was he on? I think he was in a losing effort for an IC title four-way. Like, he's just been <clears throat> there and thereabouts for, like, all of 1999 and now suddenly in november or october he's a main eventer it just doesn't wash like even austin himself he took some serious momentum for like a year before he got the title um all through like the end of 96 and all through 97 before he was really considered for the world title but val's just straight in there with them after doing nothing all year mm. Anyway, that brings us to the end of SmackDown, so I, I don't think there'll be too many shocks on this one, but let's go through the list just in case I'm wrong. Who have you got for production value? Um, WWE, for the most part. like There was a, a tiny bit of editing wrong at one point, but it definitely 
was a big improvement over WCW's obnoxious crowd uh, sweetening. Absolutely. And on the next note of the crowd, who have you got for that one? God. Um, I guess WWE have to get it by default because the most over acts were really over, even though like the crowd were really quiet for large stretches. At least they were actual organic people. Yeah, that was what I put. Like, WWF by default because people were in the crowd. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, not a not a great one there. Um, characters. Who do you think had the better characters on the night? WWE. The entire main event scene was here. And the, the big talking points were essentially around the world title scene. Even though they got paired off with people lower down the card, they were all around and... Yeah, thank God they were, because they were the only people that were over. <laughs> uh, Storylines. Um, I, I I went WWF on this one as well, but did you think WCW had better storylines on display than the Fed did? No, well, WCW didn't really have stories. They had matches, and then they had video packages of the actual story progression that they, they were getting, but nothing really actually developed on Thunder. At least with the WWF, you got kind of more into mix grievances with Rock um, and uh, some of the people lower down the car trying to get up and uh, into the main event scene a little more. WCW just had matches for matches' sake, really. <sighs> Agreed. And match quality. Was the cruiserweights on WCW enough for you to tip any categories, or did you have a clean sweep? Uh, it's the cruiserweight match was the best match. I thought it wasn't really all that much superior to Val and Austin, which was the best match on SmackDown. Rock and Foley was solid as well. I don't know. I think I, I will narrowly give this to the WWF. Like there was a couple of stinkers on SmackDown too, but they were much briefer than WCW's worst efforts. Yeah, and I just think for me, like I also with WWF, but I just think the matches actually meant something. None of none of them were great, but I didn't think that cruiserweight match was great either. I thought it was just okay, but at least on SmackDown, the matches meant something and had star power involved. So that was enough to tip me that that way. And that gives us a total wipeout. So WWF 10, WCW 0. I think this is more an indication of how bad Thunder is than how good SmackDown was. Like, I really, you could give this episode of SmackDown a miss in my view. I agree. I agree. Not a whole lot happened. But Thunder just sucked. <laughs> it did, the, yeah. Was the, like, we, we've done a lot of talking to basically tell you Thunder absolutely sucks and is one of the worst wrestling shows ever made. <laughs> How much suck could WCW Thunder suck if WCW Thunder sucks? Oh, I'm hoping this will be the worst, but I am very much doubting that will be the case. I'm going to be interested to see what effect the writers from New York have. So far, so bad. Um, The the whole, like, wrestling is fake stuff is going to 
really make my head explode as we continue down this timeline. I just know it. My overriding sense from like anecdotally what I can remember, I feel like we'll get much more gimmicks. Which might break up the monotony of just wrestling for wrestling's sake, but <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily going to be of a, a very high standard of writing. I'm just trying to rack my brain. Who could come, like, from late WCW, who could actually show up that could make this show somewhat bearable? And I'm thinking, like, maybe, like, Lance Storm, bit of Mike Awesome might help. But outside of that, the the cruiserweight tag titles maybe are still to come there's there's really not too much hope on the horizon for me history would prove you correct i think (laughs) Uh, well that's all to come i don't want to talk us out of carrying on down the timeline because we're doing god's work here (laughs) um but Thank you all for listening once again. Thank you, Duncan, for being patient with me while I've been sick of traveling. I do appreciate it. And um, I'll try not to keep you waiting as long in the future. What's coming up um, on Then Now Whatever? I think uh, our most recent episode is on WWF Invasion, one of my definitely big comfort food shows. Um, went into lots of really, really good good stuff there. So go ahead, check that out at TNW Podcast on Twitter, at TNW underscore podcast on Instagram. We're on most of your favourite podcast platforms, except for Amazon Music, which when I fill in, I give them my RSS feed, they just go, computer says no for some reason. Um, yeah, and next episode is going to be Survivor Series 2001. We've got lots of neat little extras coming up linked to that as well. Um found the Sunday Night Heat episode before that show and we'll also go through one of our favourite bits of the build that's not actually WWF uh, uh, not, isn't actually episodes of wrestling television itself it's something else which is really cool Survivor Series 2001 was a show I had friends from school over for and really all just enjoyed that show that was the, the last show before I finished high school so the last opportunity for the people that i knew that were into wrestling to all really gather and you know have that place where we could catch up and do it before we all went our separate ways so that has big memories i really enjoyed the invasion show as well i don't think i actually tweeted this out but that invasion was just a massive thing for me hearing you talk then and all i could think about was i've got to find a way to get the um episode of raw where the ecw wcw alliance formed onto the podcast so that i can enjoy watching wrestling again because that to this day is my very favorite episode of raw ever made oh it is a classic yeah i I spoke at length about how I was watching the episode of Metal that was basically recapping that show and what an incredible experience that was for me as a kid watching wrestling. You talk about Tape Trader Diaries and that I would always record SmackDown and Raw, right? And I'm watching mm-hmm. Raw. I actually had a friend over for that episode of Raw. Um, back in the in the in those days, Raw and SmackDown would air on Friday and Saturday nights here in Australia. Um, so my fr- a good friend of mine watched a lot of wrestling in 2001 he, while we're in year 12 would just hang out friday and saturday nights and watch both shows have a few drinks go out afterwards whatnot but always made sure to step in and watch them well anyway long story short i'm watching raw as always i'm recording it and i'm just 
the show's building and it's becoming something special as the show goes on. You can sense this is not just your average episode. Mm-hmm. And the tape stopped. It had reached the end. And I scrambled like crazy just to throw any tape in so that I could keep recording it. <laughs> and for pro- probably a decade, I had both those two cassettes where it was split on two and would not throw them out because I never wanted to lose that episode of Raw. Oh, man. <clears throat> Yeah, big special one for me, that one. My my very favourite. So at some point, we've got to figure out a way to get that onto the show. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that'll do it for us today. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, not the two best episodes we've ever seen, but um, hopefully the next one brings bigger and better things. We can but hope. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter. Um, reach out. You can find us on all, all the music and, sorry, the podcast platforms as well love to get a few more reviews in at some point if i can to go with the rising listenership but if not thank you all for listening anyway duncan thank you for joining pleasure as always lee cheers everybody we'll catch you down the road hey doug i'll <laughs> catch you down the road <laughs>